From Santa Barbara, California, the Timeless Voyager series, where the knowledge is timeless and you are the Voyager. Interviews with leading-edge authors and speakers, psychic phenomena and the unexplained, UFOs, extraterrestrial encounters, government cover-ups, alternative health care, new technologies. Fasten your cosmic seatbelts and join me, your host, Bruce Stephen Holmes, the Timeless Voyager. Hello, everyone. Bruce Stephen Holmes, the Timeless Voyager. My guest today is Dale Pond. And you know, rather than me tell you about his background, I think it would be better for you, Dale, to give everybody a, a little bit of an idea of your background. And then we're going to move through so many different things today because, folks, this is going to be a great show. But I want to hand it over to Dale for right now. So welcome to the show, Dale. Thank you, Bruce. I'm glad to be here. Glad to share the story. All right, so tell us a little bit about your personal background. How did this all start? I try and I tell people that it starts back when I'm eight or nine years old, living in Northern Virginia. I was really interested in science and physics, especially chemistry. And fast forward to when I'm 15 in junior high school. I was uh, planning to set my sights on MIT. And in that time, what was that, about 65, the big talk was rockets. People were going to go to the moon and, and all that big stuff that was coming up. And I was going to go to MIT and be a rocket scientist. My dad, however, had been studying the, the world situation, economics and politics, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, no. I think we're going to move to central Brazil. A week later, we were 300 miles out in the middle of the sticks, central Brazil. Wow, that must have been quite a shock. Well, yeah. Well, there were four brother, five brothers and a sister and mom and dad. And we were uh, uh, not urban type people. We were suburban type people, country people. So it was kind of a big deal. It was exciting. It was an exciting adventure for us boys, uh, which was one of the reasons my dad went to Brazil, because Vietnam was just cranking up, and he had four teenage sons, and he says, we're not going to do this. And um, 11 years in Brazil, doing this, that, and the other thing, farming, cattle, hunting, fishing, um, no roads. And um, I learned how to cope. Things aren't going the way you want them to. Well, you make it work the way, any way it can work for you. In uh, 74, I came back to the U.S. to start a, we were going to do a big agriculture project in Brazil. And I came to Colorado to talk to some investors and whatnot. And one thing led to another. And I said, you know, there's enough land in this country to feed the world. We don't have to crank up, do all kinds of crazy stuff in Brazil. So I decided to stay and eventually got in, started a landscape company. We became the second largest landscape company in Colorado Springs. And, but you know what? I was getting unhappy. Hmm. I was very, very, very unhappy. And this 
ancient interest of mine and the science and physics started to come forward. You know, being in Brazil, I forgot all about that. But uh, it started bothering me, you know, and I, I bought a little, one of those old Sinclair computers, and I started learning the computer to uh, code, you know. And the science thing started to merge and merge, and, and um, I started a database of stuff that I was studying. And um, I won't go into this other part very much because it doesn't really need it, but I um, found myself in Virginia Beach at the Edgar Casey Pice Foundation. In that brief visit, I stumbled on his readings and all this crazy stuff that, that all of a sudden just sparked like everything in me. Well, yeah, it changed, it changed my thinking. Good. And it reminded me of all kinds of stuff inside of me that I'd totally forgotten about. Again, long story short, I, I uh, went back to Colorado, gave my house to my mom and my business to my brothers, and I threw the dog in a truck and drove to Virginia Beach. And I didn't know why, didn't know anybody there. Everybody thought I was crazy. I thought I was crazy. And I volunteered in their library because I love libraries. I love books. And in my experience in that library, I found Keeley's biography because I was looking at every book in that library. I so drove, we're talking about John Keeley. John Keeley. I drove all over that town looking for why I was there. I looked through every one of their books to figure out why I was there. When I found Keeley's biography, that was it. It was like a lightning bolt. I said, this is it. This is why I'm here. And I haven't really let go of it since. <clears throat> and I've dug into his physics. I've dug into his life. I've dug into anything I could dig into um, that had anything to do with vibration, which led me to Walter Russell and, and a few of the other older authors that have been forgotten. And um, in 95, I was attending a conference in Fort Collins, and some gal asked me, well, what would you do if you had the money? And I said, well, I'd build one of Keeley's machines. And uh, pretty soon this guy shows up and he says, um, well, I'll fund your meeting. You know, because I told him we need to convene a meeting of my team to explore if it was possible to replicate one of his machines, which is the Dinosphere. And um, we had some old photographs and we convened at a dude ranch in Nebraska and talked about this and it became quite obvious yeah we could build one sure we get the funding and get some more information and one of our team members was is a world-class psychic by the name of Dawn Stranges and she began communicating with John Keeley and Albert Einstein and Nikola Tesla and several other personalities and we could ask through her what materials these parts were made of, what the dimensions were, what kind of alloys were used. It was just the most amazing thing. And we got started a few months later, and we uh, we borrowed this guy's machine shop. And in four months, I had this dinosaur belt. It was the most amazing four months of my life, just absolutely astonishing. So that's kind of how it got started. <laughs> That's a, it's it's interesting because um, everyone has a story, and sometimes when you do these types of shows, that's always lost. People don't don't actually get an idea that hey, yeah, you know, this is a human being. It's we're talking about this machine, this thing. Incidentally, um, what do you call this thing, this device? 
We call it a musical dinosphere. Yeah. Now, why do you call it a musical dinosphere? Um, that's the way it was referred to sometimes in the old literature. While I was at Virginia Beach, I went around to the old university libraries that were within driving distance, and I dug out all those old magazine articles and newspaper articles, anything I could get my hands on that mentioned John Keeley and his work. And I accumulated several hundred articles. I got a copy of Bloomfield Moore's original biography of Keeley, um, a number of things like that. And by digging through that old literature, we, you know, this particular device was referred to as a globe motor, a ball motor, sphere motor, musical dinosphere, musical sphere. And um, it seemed like to me that taking on a project of building this particular device would teach us more about Keeley's physics than any other project we could tackle. Hmm. Keeley had two phases of invention in his life. The first phase was with the original Keeley motor, which worked off of water hammer and, and uh, thermodynamic properties, etc. And he gave that up after about 30 years of working on it. He said, this is not going to work. This is not what we're really going for. So he moved into this dinospheric uh, forces, which are evidenced through these dinospheres. And basically his machines, this particular machine, was built by him to prove out his physics. There are articles where he made a large one, like four feet in diameter. This one's only 12 inches in diameter, but he made a big one wow. to power a locomotive. <laughs> and uh, wait, wait, why, 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 why would he want to? Well, in those days, late 1800s, there was a worldwide effort to discover and develop the power system that would power the industries of the world. You know, we were all we were using water power and steam power and animal power, and they were just coal power, and they were looking for better ways to do things. And Tesla comes along and he, he perfects the AC process, and that became a really big deal. Keely was in that race to provide an industrial capable power source, and that's what the dinosaurs were intended to do originally. And um, but he had to he had to start from scratch, and he he had to discover fields and fields and fields of science and physics, and then bring them all together into a usable, workable, usable device. And um, at that same time, the robber barons, you know, Edison and Morgan and Westinghouse and all those guys, they were busy investing millions and millions of dollars in those days, and millions of dollars in those days was a lot of money in building their particular systems. So they see this guy, Keeley, over in Philadelphia developing a system that nobody really understands anything he's doing. And he scared them. He scared them really bad. And um, they kind of built a fence around him so that he couldn't bring his technology to market to protect their investments. You know, the first rule of corporatism is to protect your capital. Well, they were up capital because he was about to, yeah he was about to blow it all away and and they couldn't have that and somewhere in that process 
Keeley and his people realized that the world was not ready at that time for what he had to offer them. He had some stuff that he could offer, but like I said, they kept him out of the market. Um, he got he got involved in the Keeley Motor Company, and the people who were running that company were all crooks, liars, and thieves. And <laughs> it sounds like the normal the normal yeah. setup in corporations. So. Yeah, and the, the stories are there. They're in the literature. If you read them carefully and you build a chronology of events and who's involved in there, you can see exactly what they were doing. They, they abused guy just pounding on him and pounding on him for year after year after year. And he persisted, and he developed his technology. And then towards the end, he says, you know, we're going to safeguard all this technology and equipment in uh, private, secret hands for when the time is right, the stuff can be brought out to the public. Um, the guy was working on atomic fission in the 1880s in a real sense. Um, that's just one example. If he had brought that out, we would not be here today because, they, you know, the crazy world out there weaponizes everything, and they would have weaponized that. And the uh, First World War probably would have ended the world, but the Second World War for sure would have ended it using his technology. The, the psyche of man in those days was quite brutal, you know, survival of the fittest. That was the philosophy of the day. Well, if you're going to survive, you need a bigger hammer, a bigger gun, bigger cannon, bigger bomb. And uh, Keeley's work would have provided them with that easily. All right, so let's jump forward to uh, the beginning of the machine that you call Atlas. Yeah, this is a replica of his device that's shown in that original photograph. And like I said, you can't tell much from a black and white photograph, especially when you cut metal, you know, where the dimensions, where the metals. And that's why Dawn was so invaluable, because she could ask. And we would get all those specifications. And um, while she was in upstate New York, I was in Valentine, Nebraska, and I'd call her every day, because I was cutting metal every day. And I said, well, what, what kind of metal should this be? And what are the dimensions that we should make it into? And then there was some chemistry involved. There were different coatings on the inside, a black and white coating. And uh, it was just a fascinating, absolutely fascinating four months that we spent building this thing. And we didn't have any idea what we were doing. We thought initially that we were building a free energy machine. The old article said he built one, a big one, to power a locomotive. He built one that powered a sawmill. So he was he was getting power from these things. There's mechanical power on a shaft. So it was it was a real threat to the steam industry at that time. Now, if we just go back for a moment, you're talking about Dawn. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about the information that she was so instrumental in bringing forward. Um, and maybe you want to talk a little bit about somewhere around the mechanics of what she was doing so that people understand. Because you were basically, unless I misunderstand, you were basically talking through her to John Keeley after he had passed over. Yeah, he died in 1898. And we were doing this work in 1995, in the spring of 96. Um I would call Don on the phone, and I'd say, well, ask John what's the, the dimension of this part. And then she would 
pick up from him and tell me what he said. And so essentially, did. essentially, without this part of the story, this machine cannot be rebuilt. No, that's not a good assumption. Okay. Uh, All right. Correct me and explain uh, where I was went wrong on that. Well, we did it. Anybody else can do it. Okay. Using the same type of technique or similar technique. You know, she's just using her intuition. We all got intuition. She just has a better connection than I got. I have a different kind of connection. For instance, when I was cutting metal or shaping parts, um, I would get these insights, these intuitive uh, hunches and gut feeling or whatever you want to call it, in a way to, to do it this way and not another way. And so I was picking up on that. I'm just not as sensitive as she is. And when I really got stuck or in doubt, I would call her because I know her, her. she's better. You know, she can call her and she can get anything. And um, it is true that without her input, we wouldn't have been able to do this because I don't have that level of intuition. And it's it's it was required at the time. And we've also found out that as we were doing this project in that manner, that it's a demonstration for others. This is a viable manner. You get the right people. And the guys on the other side of the veil are, are begging for us to ask them for their help. I mean, they're just ready to to give us any kind of information we want. You know, that's that's good and wholesome and everything, not the negative stuff. And um, it works. I mean, we made this thing. It didn't rotate like we assumed, you know, a free energy machine would move and rotate and develop power. Right, because you're... Again, you were making this thing. As a matter of fact, when we talked, when we were preparing the show, one of the things that I asked you was, how long did it take to build it, and did you even know what you were making? Didn't really know what we were making, because no one had ever seen one for 100, over 100 years. We didn't have any blueprints. We didn't have any specifications. All we had were two or three black and white photographs and the desire to replicate this thing. And we had Don sitting there who was very willing to help us out. But what happened after that is what was important. I took it to an energy conference in Denver because I used to go to these different Tesla conferences and energy conferences. And I had Atlin sitting there on the table. And I come back from lunch one day, and there's eight or ten women standing around Atlin. And they're very solemn and quiet, and they had their hands out to it like this, like they're warming their hands on a fire. And this is Atlin, is the name of the one? The, the, the particular... Yes, it was Atlin. That's what Atlin looks like, right? Yeah, that is that is Atlin. <clears throat> and then, um, and I thought that was really, really weird. So I asked him, hey, what are you guys doing? And the one gal said, with her hands stuck out like that, she said, uh, we're standing here feeling the love come off this machine. Which was quite extraordinary. But what shocked me was that all the other women nodded in agreement with what she just said. Mm-hmm. And it was shocking because it was unexpected. I did not expect anything of this nature whatsoever. You know, I thought it was just a rotating free energy machine. But these ladies just told me that, no, there's a lot more going on here than rotating piece of hardware. So I took it to a spiritual center in Tulsa. And there's a fairly decent metaphysical community in Tulsa. And we would convene once a week, and I told them about the women feeling the love come off the machine, 
And I said, I don't know what they're talking about. Um, I built it. I don't feel anything. Maybe you guys will feel something. And I'm going to stand in a corner, literally, and you guys just interact with it, if there's anything to interact with. And I did that for four or five months. So basically, this was this was your experiment in trying to find out what you had just built. Yeah, yeah. They were the guinea pigs. I told them, you guys are going to be the guinea pigs. You just tell me everything you experienced. And through those several months, uh, it was extraordinary. We saw, I mean, the people got joyful and happy and playful. And and the more they did that, the more it got. You know, it's like self-generating love and joy. And, and then we started seeing healings. People were being healed physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. All through that time period. We even had a doctor to bring in a patient to see what they see. And then one doctor said, uh, he brought in a patient who was uh, mentally uh, disturbed. And he said as he was leaving that every clinic in this country needs one of these things. And another guy came by and from the East Coast, and he was extremely psychic. And he was he went back to the East Coast. He was a chiropractor by trade. And he took a photograph of that one with him and hung it in his waiting room. And he called me a few months later, and he says, you know, we're seeing people changed by this photograph. He said they're easier to work with, and they're calmer. And he said all these different changes were happening. And I said, that's what I was going to ask you about, because we're seeing that here, you know. And from that point on, I, I put up as many photographs as I had of that one onto the web so people could download them all over the world. If they're having a healing effect on people and it's benign and it's helpful and creates joy and love and peace, then that's better than any amount of bombs that D.C. could send around the world. I mean, what are we here for? So I took it to a number of conferences, and uh, we always had the same experience. People coming around it, and they're feeling all this energy. Uh, this one gal in Albuquerque, Gina, she was the first one we were able to get on videotape because most of this was done before cell phones and all that kind of stuff. But I had an iPad with me in Albuquerque, and I caught Gina describing the energy that was coming off of that one. Right, let's, let's, take, uh, let's take a moment and uh, watch this. It's about, what, two minutes long? So let's just watch this. Okay, my wife came down, and she could detect magnets. Okay, we came down, and she felt it, and she said, this is stronger than any magnet I've gotten. I've got a one-inch square magnet that's very powerful, and she could feel the same thing she could feel. It's more power, she could feel more power here than she did in the center. It's almost um, a torus structure, so I can feel energy coming from both ends, and then I can feel energy come around like this. I feel it oscillating between it being stronger here um, and then weaker, so to speak. I don't know what words to use. And then I feel a burst of energy here and less here. So if I put my hand up it, so to speak. So now it's intensely strong. I feel it um, down the heart energetic channel of the arms, mostly on my left. There's a lot of violet energy, so I don't know. 
What do you mean by violent energy? Violent. 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 Okay. Or color. Okay. No violence. Violent. Brighter than your shirt? Yeah, like, um... Is it deeper? Deep. Not indigo, but, like, highest color on the visible spectrum. Like, uh... Which violet is a diffusing color, right? Violet is It's closest to white. So, in other words, it cancels out energies, right? These two are the poles that are the switching as opposed to this is consistent. Some, of, some particles may be going this way, others are going this way, and you get down here, what happens is these are coming in and these are going around and it mixes. So you the circles going the same way. So this was just someone, I guess, just coming up and talking about it. Is that what happened? Yeah. Um, so what happened. These people walk by it and they feel the energy and they stop and they start to feel it and play with it and experience with it. And um, it happens at every conference, every time I've ever taken it anywhere. Same thing happens. I just never had a camera. This was the first time. And uh, Gina seems to be excellent. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better person to do that. And um, her husband was there. That was a tall guy and the short guy doing all the talking. He's a, an inventor from Missouri. And uh, we're collaborating on some stuff, but I didn't know him before that. This was this was off the cuff. The whole photo session was off the cuff. I didn't know any of those people at that time. So basically, she was what an empath or something like that, and and just came up and started feeling it. Yeah, she's probably a medical intuitive. She has a healing business in California. Yeah. Um, you also had Dr. Emoto try out feeling this machine. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how that happened? Yeah. Maybe who, who, who Dr. Emoto is, perhaps that's a good idea to, to explain that to uh, the people that are watching. Yeah, Dr. Emoto was the guy who uh, discovered that you could freeze water, and depending how the, the ice formed, would, uh, would be a good description of the quality of the water. If it was polluted, you'd have a non-crystalline formation of ice, but when it was pure water, like spring water, you'd have these beautiful snowflake-type patterns show up in it. And he wrote some books, and he's traveled the world, and he's, he's world famous for his work. Uh, he had also he had an experiment that he taught the world how to do it. You take two batches of cooked rice and put them in containers, individual separate containers with water in it. You don't really need water, but people do put water in it. And you you bless one, you say prayers and blessings and emote love to it, and the other one, you cuss it and send it negative vibes. And in 30 days, those two vessels, one is crystal clear, you know, really perfectly rice, and the other one is all nasty and moldy and just yucky. 
I was invited to attend a conference in California some years back because he was interested in my work. He was very interested in vibration. And I had written a book called The Physics of Love, which he really, really liked. And um, while we were sitting there in a hotel room between sessions or whatever it was, this one guy from Europe was talking about this uh, computer system that he had developed that he attaches to people's bodies, their abdomen, their heart, attaches it to their heart on the outside, of course. And the computer would read the vibrations of a heartbeat. And the computer code would convert those vibrations into musical tones. And I said, hey, would you be interested in attaching it to on a dinosaur, because we, we suspect it's got a heartbeat, but we don't have any proof of that. He said, sure, we'll do that. So we all went up to my room where we had the dinosaur, and he, we, he attached everything to the dinosaur and to other people. There's a, a young lady standing there. Uh, she attached it to her heart. And Dr. Motor, you can see him holding the contact in his hand. So we've got two people and the dinosaur hooked together. But before those two people were connected, um, I forget the guy's name, but he attached it to the dinosaur and he just, oh, yeah, there is a heart thing. So we started playing with it, and that's when other people put themselves in a circuit to see what kind of interesting, actually fascinating music that would come out of this process. All right, why don't I bring that up and let's, let's, uh, let's listen to this. It's pretty quick, but it uh, definitely shows what happened once again. On the spur of the moment. Yeah, on the spur of the moment. (laughs) It was quick. Um, it's too bad the music track wasn't louder. I, I did the best I could to bring that up, but it just well, I was recording it with an iPad. You know, it was the best I well, could. I mean, it wasn't planned, but it, it definitely it definitely explains something. So that's Doctor Ramoto. Have you has he ever been interested in in this? Uh, is there? A, I think there was a story that you told me a little bit. Well, yeah, he fell in love with the dinosaur. He really, really, really wanted one because he could feel the love energy and these other other energies coming from it, and he, he really wanted one. But when I told him how much it cost to build one, he kind of shied away, so we didn't get one for him. But you can see we got, we accidentally constructed a machine that's got consciousness, and this is not AI. AI is computer code. It's just bits, on and off bits. There's no consciousness in AI. There's only computer code in AI. But this machine has consciousness. And, and I can give an example of that. Um, on four different occasions at different conferences, <clears throat> when I started talking to the engineers about the science and the physics and the hardware and everything, the dinosaur set off the fire alarms in the, in the hotels. And it happened four times before I got the message. 
the important thing here is not the hardware, it's not the physics, it's the spirituality, which means mind and heart and love and all the all the parts of society that have been shoved down and suppressed and made negative and, and um, people. We forgot. We forgot what all that is. We forgot who we are. And the dinosaurs are here, you know, it has a consciousness. It has a, an entity or a spirit in the machine or associated with the machine, whose name is that one. And we have had numerous uh, readings from that one. And she talks about herself and why she's here and, and what these energies are all about and what our purpose is and our, our mission is and all that kind of stuff in this bringing of this technology to the world. And, um, I mean, it's amazing. This uh, book cover you got up there is, when I go to these conferences, people come up and say, it has two questions. What is it and what does it do? (laughs) And I would tell them the history and what it does and everything. And when I got done, somebody would step right in right behind him and ask the same two questions. And I would answer the same two questions several dozen times at every conference. I mean, bam, 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 bam. And eventually I got really tired of that and said, well, we'll write a book. I'll just put this whole story in a book. And then everybody can read it. <clears throat> and uh, they still ask the same questions, though, by the way. And uh, But the book uh, tells the story of how this all happened. Uh, meeting at the dude ranch and getting started and making of the parts and a number of readings that we've got. We got over 200 readings in that four months. They're not all in this book, by the way. And um, it's an amazing story. You know, I'm I'm almost like a victim of this. I, I volunteered. I said, okay, we'll make a machine. And the guy offers the money to get started. So we get started and we build this thing and and I, it's like I got a tiger by the tail, and I don't know what I'm doing, and trying to tread water just as fast as I can because it's all up to here, and all these subjects, and and what it all means, and and while we were doing the healing, the healing experiences in Tulsa, I started studying every book and videotape that I could get that mentioned the word love in it. I mean, the good stuff, not the X-ray stuff. Because I wanted to know what love was. I didn't know what it was. And over a period of months, uh, I began to figure out what it was, to know what it was, and to feel it, and to know it. And and I realized that most people don't know what love is. And if they don't know what love is, they don't know what they are. And um, I eventually pieced together a paradigm, a scientific paradigm, from a scientific perspective and what was happening. You know, we got a metal machine made out of metals, various metals, various shapes and forms, and yet we were seeing healing. For Well, how can that be? What's the connection between mechanics and health and healing? And I did. Eventually, I pieced together a pretty good paradigm. And it's uh, We've explained it in many, many, many articles on the svpwiki.com. And I've written a number of books about it, <clears throat> and I've spoken a number of interviews, and I've been to a number of conferences, and um, 
it's new and you can almost say it's foreign to Western society because all of that's been beat out of us. You know, bad schools, bad churches, bad government, ignorant parents who they didn't know either. Their parents didn't know. So we're, we're starting out kind of fresh. The, the Eastern people kind of get a handle on this because they never forgot. They've kind of wandered, got wandered far afield with some of their religious uh, interpretations. But, but basically, it's all about love, and the whole universe works that way. Standard physics starting as, as uh, maybe for about 10 years now, they're starting to talk about a thing called quantum entanglement, <clears throat> which is the exact same phenomenon that we're talking about. Love, sympathetic vibration, it's all quantum entanglement on uh, different levels, physical level or emotional level or mental level. Uh, the physicists are They've, they've kind of got themselves in a corner, you know, and it's a very atheistic and materialistic approach, which denies everything that we're seeing in this machine with Alan and the experience around it. It's not just me and a half a dozen people. It's thousands of people have been around this thing and felt this energy. And they just walk in and they feel it, and they, that's when they start asking all these questions. So it's not me promoting a a scheme of any kind. You know, I stumbled on it, hitting me in the face 16 ways from Sunday and said, hey, get this thing figured out and get it explained and bring it to the world. Because what does the world need more than anything else? It needs love. Right? I mean, got wars all over the world, everywhere. we got a government dividing our country up to where it's all polarized now, men against women, women against men, black versus white. It just never stops. Because there's money and power in in that polarization for those who engage in it. But our real mission here is to love one another. And this machine puts that in our faces. Put it in my face that I couldn't ignore it. It's like a big cosmic two-by-four just smacked me in the forehead. Hey, you got this thing going on here. What is it? You know, you're going to be a hypocrite and turn your back on it and walk off? No. I set my feet on the path, and I got enough integrity, I think, to, we're going to follow this through, and no matter what it costs or where it goes, or we're just going to keep doing this. Tell me something. Um, you said that there are seven dynaspheres. That's and right. I guess they're, and they're all, they all have different names. Uh, this one is called Atlin, A-T-L-I-N. I don't know if, if you need to tell me all the names, but that's an interesting point. I mean, why are there seven? Well, I had uh, six people come to me saying they want one. And I said, well, it cost X. And they said, you want all the money now or what? And so I made six after Atlin. Atlin, Atlin we made, that was my project. But um, six different people have approached me spontaneously on their own initiative. I have not really attempted to sell these things or market them. And these people came to me, and I, I built one for each one of these people. How long does it take to build one of these? Um, I built the first one in four months, but that was because I was very motivated, very enthusiastic. I worked eight hours a day for four months. I have never built another one in that short a time period. 
One of them took three years to build it. And uh, part of that is uh, I wasn't asking for enough money, so I ran out of money, their money, the purchase price. So I had to use my money, and I don't have any money. So it took a long time to to, to get these things built. Um, they are a lot of work. They're, a, they're an immense amount of work to build one. I don't really want to build another one. I would if somebody offered, you know, came up with a hundred grand, I'd take it and build one. But anything less than that, you know, I made seven of them. That should be enough for anybody. But however, having said all that, I do want to make one more for myself um, for bench work. That one was not made for experimenting with. You know, we don't allow people to attach devices to it or instruments or any kind of way monkey around with it. But I want to make a, a, a special unit specifically for bench testing so we can measure all these forces and everything involved in it. You told me that you decided to buy a school and put your entire operation, including your living quarters, in that, in that school. So that's where this is taken, I guess, this picture? Or? No, that was taken in a... In a in another shop before I moved here. <clears throat> I moved out of that shop into into this building. Um, I didn't necessarily want a school building, but I wanted a lot of square footage. And these old abandoned school buildings are all over the country. And they're big, and you got a lot of square footage, and you can usually get them really cheap. Um, there was one, two of them, 30 miles from here, that were given away by the school boards. They couldn't, nobody buy it, so they gave them away. And uh, I got this one at a, what do you call it, barn burning price or whatever. And um, it's worked very well. It's 16,000 square feet. We've got a metal shop, a wood shop, a water laboratory, acoustic and electronic laboratory. Uh, of course, my living quarters. we got office spaces, a guest room, an archive, a library, and a museum. Small museum. So it's working. I mean, place is getting filled up. Tell me something. <clears throat> you know how it works now, and is this tied in with the consciousness that we've been talking about? Is it? Let, let me let me say it this way, and then you can, of course, correct me if I need to be corrected. What I gather is that the first thing is that this quote-unquote machine is conscious of itself, which you would probably have all kinds of arguments from scientists, theologians, I mean, the list is probably so big it's crazy, because this is something that uh, no one wants to even consider, because it breaks all the paradigms. The idea that consciousness is not special to the human being, because Human beings want to be special, so this is really special. And you're taking away <laughs> the last, the last big reason why it's so important to be human. And you've, you've taken it away. Actually, <laughs> how do you right. feel about that? That you took this away? Well, we're not taking anything away from. Them. We're just exposing the lack in their paradigms. There's more to it than they've been looking at, and there's a faction in society that is atheistic and materialistic. And they want to be in charge of the whole world. In fact, they pretty much are right now. And so they have squashed any way they possibly can, any reference anywhere 
has anything to do with real consciousness and intuition and psychic abilities and all this kind of stuff because that, like you said, crashes their paradigm. Well, they got a crappy paradigm. It needs to be crashed. It's incomplete. It's misleading. It's created all this chaos that we see in the world all around us because when you're in a loving state, you're not going to go to war. There's no reason to go to war. And when you're in a loving state, there's abundance and there's health and there's all these good things that that you know everybody's screaming for right now. But it takes money out of their pocket. They don't make any money when you're healthy. They don't like this machine. They don't like what I'm doing. People stand. People sit around this machine and get healed. Well, where's the money in that for them? And if that paradigm gets out, which it is. Uh, eventually they will be out of business because their business is not health, it's sickness. The more sickness, the more money they make. So they're not going to heal anybody. Why? Would, I mean, who's going to kill off their own customer base? You know, that's ridiculous. And the same thing with the war machine, same thing with the energy industry. All this stuff is are half-baked paradigms that were designed to create monopolistic uh, methods of becoming wealthy and powerful. They got nothing to do with me and you, except we're the, we're the you know, we, we keep paying all the prices all the time. <laughs> we're the suckers, you know. We didn't, we didn't know. People did, like I said, we were studying this machine in Tulsa, and I realized, and it was a shock, that nobody knew what love is. And that's not exactly true. There are people out there who know what love is. But um, the vast majority don't have a clue. In fact, they're told not to look at that. They're not supposed to look at any of this stuff. Uh, I mean, people are followers. They were trained through the school system to be a follower, to conform to what the arbitrary authority tells them. And if you don't conform, well, we're going to give you an F in your grade, so you won't get a good job when you get out. So everybody lines up to memorize and and be like a parrot you know a nice pet parrot so they can get a job and make some money and you know but there's some of us who could care less you know we want to know what the truth is and we're going to follow it to the ends of the earth so this book that you uh wrote this is not the only book you've written uh, i don't have the pictures of the other books but of course if people are looking at that ticker running by there um you have the bookstore, uh, svpbookstore.com. They can go there and, and look at the books that you've uh, written and have available. Oh, yeah. I've tried to acquire and offer as many uh, books and, and pamphlets and CDs and whatnot that have a bearing on this subject. Because for most of us, this is a brand new subject. I mean, the metaphysical community, the people who are waking up in the world, they've been digging and digging and digging, and, and more and more materials becoming available from more authors and writers and speakers all over the world. And um, my perspective is it's not enough to be gee whiz, you know, with these pretty pictures, which most people go after the pretty pictures which are attractive, of course. But I want to know the why and the how, which is a much more arduous path to follow because uh, the SVP Wiki's got over 11,000 entries there already, which if you print it out, it's probably 20-some thousand pages. 
uh, which started out as my notebook, and I put it on the web because I thought people would, would could use some of these references and notations, and so I put in uh, Keeley's work and Walter Russell's work, and I'm putting in Schauberger's work now, and many, many different people, Thomas Bearden, Edgar Casey, all of these people had a bearing on this topic in one form or another. And I've linked all that writing together so that what Keeley said, negative attractive, you can go over to Schauberger and he's talking about uh, center-seeking forces, same thing. Or Russell uses the word gravitation, seeking a center. So, And I've built several tables of synonyms to help translate from one context or one author to the other so we can all see that they're all talking about the same thing. And I've mixed in a lot of standard physics where where I saw linkages to the state, like quantum entanglement, same thing as sympathetic vibration. We're not going to get there just by looking at pretty pictures. We've got to put the mind to the metal, you know, and figure it out. Or do like Don does and start asking questions and get some good answers. Because uh, the standard physics, our society out there was not geared for this, hasn't been get, geared for it, is not geared for it. And you're not going to get any answers from the system because they will. This is absolute anathenum to those guys. This is they do not want to see this, but we're going to do it anyway. You know, I care less what those guys think, but uh, when it comes down to me, myself, and my family, and my friends and neighbors, um, I'm not buying their crap, and a lot more of these people are not buying their crap either. So the world is changing. They see that we've been sent down a wrong path, and now there's some people, myself and a whole lot of other people out there, talking about the real deal. And that's what we want, and that's what we're going to have. And I'm putting physics to it on the wiki. Tell me one thing, and we're kind of starting to run out of time here, but um, at this point, do you know anything about how it works? Is it is it a, the mixture of consciousness and a machine, or is it not really a machine? What do, what do you think, let's say? Uh, that's a lot of questions. <clears throat> um, well, I, yeah, that's we what got, we're doing the show. <laughs> well, yeah, well, we got some pretty good ideas about where the energy comes from. We're, we're developing the, the paradigm of exactly how that energy um See, it begins with um, non-Newtonian physics, quantum physics. And it goes beyond that because quantum physics does not recognize a higher force or higher forces in the universe. Everything is particles banging banging into other particles. You know, you just get a bigger hammer to get, to get more and work out of whatever it is they're working with. But this science says the same thing all the religions have ever said. There's a God, which I don't like using that word because there's too many connotations attached to it. Uh, science acknowledges God, but they won't use that term. They use the word scalar. They refer to the scalar potential. It's all around us, everywhere, all the time. Tesla even referred to it by differentiating that scalar potential. We get kinetic energy. The Russians are, are way ahead of us in this. Uh, Tom Bearden talks about how the Russians have tapped into the scalar 
potential and made various devices and things with it. And so they're already putting it in practice. Whereas Western science is, man, they're so stuck in the mud, it just makes you want to cry. Hmm. So what we're saying here is God is consciousness. Um, God is mind, the universal mind. And it's like a Buddha sitting there. It's totally meditating, totally quiet, totally still, not doing anything. But you can you can stimulate or excite that still calm mind, whole mind of God with a prayer. And you get effects out of that. And we go through life every day doing that, and we don't even know it. When you start looking at this and how consciousness, there's a whole mind consciousness, which is everything in potential. And then there's our thinking minds, which are our egos. We run around all day figuring out how to pay bills and mow the grass and all that kind of stuff. That's our thinking mind. And it's while it's a part of the whole mind, it's it's like it's split off from it. There's uh, It's all one mind. It's one consciousness in the universe. And Keeley showed us uh, the way that he uh, organized matter and energy, energy such that there was this scalar potential at the top and by differentiating it, it that's what he called it uh, synonym would be refraction or stimulating uh, beard and synonym is tickle they would tickle us remember uh, on, on a contact movie where Jody's standing on the beach and she walks over and she touches this invisible membrane and it all vibrates and everything uh-huh. that's the perfect metaphor for this scalar it's sitting there you can't see it she couldn't actually touch it, but the movie's a good metaphor. But once you touch it, once you stimulate it or you excite it, then it becomes this kinetic thing that you can see. Well, you know what's interesting, too, is that we, or at least most people, miss the what's going on in CERN, for instance. What is really interesting to me is that all of the latest of the subatomic particles have names like charm charm, uh, (laughs) happiness and there's just a a list of these there are so many of these and they all have these beautiful positive names that normally we would associate with something having to do with fantasy and yet here we are where science quantum physics of, of all of them has begun naming these particles with all of these beautiful, positive, emotional names. And I think that's a real giveaway of what's really going on. We don't hear about that, but that's the clue. Well, anyway. yeah, there's, uh, there's an interesting thing to that is there's two levels to science, like quantum physics. If you go to those high levels that the people are trying to work at in CERN and some of the other endeavors they're doing around the world, which you can you hear about from time to time and in articles that a laboratory will publish about this or the other thing. There's that level. And then there's this big course level that we're all steeped in here, down here in the, on, the, on the great unwashed, you might say. And that level of physics is so stupid, it's beyond belief. But it's what they fed us through the school systems. And it's just basic 
physics and mechanics and and all that kind of stuff. And they may mention some of these higher realms that they that they want to work in, or they. But it's almost like it's they're keeping it all secret. Because even if you go digging for it, it's really, really hard to find. The old physicists, you know, they all admitted that mind was part of the equation. Way back in the 1800s, even earlier than that. I mean, guys like Planck, you know, he thought the, the basic, you know, the, the, the base of the entire universe is consciousness. And a lot of them said the same thing, similar words, similar ideas. But where is all that? If you go to the high school level or the college level, they're going to beat you with a stick. You start talking about consciousness and mind, and yet there's this other level, <clears throat> like you're mentioning, with the fancy names for these particles. So it's like politics and everything else in our society. There, there's, there's what's really going on, and then there's all this crap they're telling us what's going on. So one's illusion, and... Uh, they want us to live in that world so that we don't rock their boats. You know, they don't want another Keeley showing up, destroying everything they built. They don't want another Tesla showing up and rocking their boat. They want to keep us all as happy campers. You know, you what's that guy saying in Europe? Uh, you'll not own anything and be happy. Now they're saying you'll not own anything. You'll eat bugs and you'll be happy. <laughs> right. Uh, we're, you know, they treat us like we're cattle. Dale, that's not what we're on and on. This is this has been a great interview. We have run the course of time. Oh, it's too bad. (laughs) I want to thank you very much. First of all, for doing this, and secondly, I want to invite you to come back on and let's talk more because this is fantastic. I know I know there's a whole bunch of stuff we didn't even touch on because I've looked at your books and and they are just. They just go on and on. Sympathetic, vibratory, physic. Um, let's continue this. But for today, we're going to have to say goodbye. So if you have something you want to uh, leave everybody with, I mean, you've had some phenomenal words of wisdom, but if there's something else you want to espouse, here's your moment. Well, briefly, I'll say that um, this has been an adventure of a lifetime. And it's changed, changed my life and it's changed the lives of many people. But the most important part about this whole thing, we never even mentioned it, which is my fault. But it's about a personal awakening. And if we don't talk about that, then I have failed my mission. And, and we really need to, uh, whether we do it again with Bruce here or, or somebody else, but... Uh, we have to get into that part because that's the hope part. That's a good part. That's a constructive part. And that's our future. Hopefully next time we can do this. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm with you all the way. We'll do it. All right. So thank you for being here with us, Dale. And thank all of you for listening. Tell your friends what a great time you had today. <laughs> and have a good week.